0: Welcome back to Off the Chart, Extra's eight-part podcast devoted to the groundbreaking Showtime series The L Word and the L.A. lesbians we can't stop thinking about. With the Generation Q reboot launching soon, we're looking back season by season at how the show revolutionized queer women's representation, getting it wrong as often as it got it right. We are reliving The L Word so you don't have to. On this episode, we're processing season two and all its love triangles, whispering, and a lesbian cruise, all set to a terrible, terrible theme song. I'm Eternity Martis, senior editor at Extra, and the last person here to watch The L Word. Hey, I'm Erica Lenti, senior
1: editor at Extra and resident millennial Jenny Hader.
2: I'm Rachel Giza. I'm the editorial director, and I'm talking, laughing, loving, breathing. And I'm Michelle and managing producer of Video at Extra,
3: and still the only lover of Jenny Schechter.
0: So before we process, was there anything that really surprised you or stood out while watching this season?
2: For me, I think that there was this real question about how you form traditional family units and protect those units outside of any kind of legal recognition. So, you know, there's the the plot line about Tina and Bette's separation process. And, you know, will Tina actually be protected? And does she need to go to court to be recognized as an ex-wife to Bette? Then you also have uh, Dana and Tanya, their very highly staged um, (laughs) corporate-sponsored wedding that was, you know, looking at how do you monetize this new idea. Idea of a queer wedding Helena was seeking custody of her kids and bet and Tina later on trying to figure out what does it mean to have a child together is bet going to get recognized as the child's other parent and I mean this is only 15 years ago but you can really see the difference where you know there's so many there's so much more family protections and there's so many more I think established institutions and legal mechanisms for queer folks now now forming families, and those are really relatively new.
1: Yeah, I found this season kind of unsettling. I don't know if you all felt like that, mainly because of all the voyeurism that there was. We sort of take a peek into lesbianism with uh, Mark, who, who is Shane and Jenny's new roommate, who's super creepy. So creepy. Uh, he sets up a bunch of hidden cameras in their in their uh, apartment and watches their private moments and records them all for the sake of making a documentary about lesbians. Um, (laughs) the voyeurism is sort of uh, mirrored in jenny's striptease toward the end of the season when she's surrounded by all those mainly aggressive white men who are like shaking their fists and throwing cash at her and then the theme is sort of turned on its head a bit by helena who's like an exhibitionist she wants to have sex with tina anywhere she can get caught including house viewings which I am really against, and I'm very angry about it. Like, also with her kids nearby, too. Yeah, I mean, to go back to the house viewings, like, there was no guarantee she was going to buy the house. <laughs> like, that could have been someone else's kitchen in the end that you had sex on. That's just not cool.
0: It's part of the fun, maybe.
1: I, no. <laughs> no. But yeah, that was, that's what really stood out in, in the season for me.
0: Well, uh, to take a dark turn here, I would even add that everyone in this season, they're facing their own demons. And so this is kind of when the show starts to get dark. So there's Tina who's acknowledged that you know, she's been this passive damsel in distress type of partner. Then there's also Bette, who realizes that she's been pretty awful um, and very unsupportive of Tina and realizes that Tina could actually live without her. There's Shane, who's been tested on her rule of no relationships, despite having real feelings for Carmen and sulking the entire season, which I'll get to later. And then Jenny's own darkness in her childhood as well as Kit's temptation with alcohol after her relationship with Benjamin.
3: I think there are a lot of really interesting takes on authenticity in season two. You know, this kind of idea of are you enough? Like, is Alice queer enough if she's uh, going on blind dates with one of Tanya's male friends? You know, is Ivan man enough if uh, Kit catches a glimpse of him outside of his gender performance? You know, is Bet? enough of a parent if she's not carrying the baby and of course my favorite take on this is uh, you know is Jenny gay enough if her hair is long she has this very candid conversation with Mark where they're watching their friends swimming in the pool and they all have short hair and that's how Mark is able to distinguish that they are lesbians and of course there's that uh, that quintessential scene where the the newly lesbian decides to chop off all their hair and declare their identity <laughs> which I think is a very antiquated Like notion, and this is probably a product of the time. I've seen examples of this scene in other pop culture. I don't know that that's necessarily the case in 2019. As our producer Corey Mosquito would say, everyone is queer. (laughs) 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 Everyone is up for grabs. I'm in a room right now looking at queer femme women, so they exist. Jenny didn't have to cut her hair, but I think at the time when this show came out, that scene would have been very important to jenny's arc to her character development and to her like really claiming her identity
2: it's also like the feminist of short haircuts it's yes. also like it's it's a, a st- totally yeah. cute pixie right. cut that makes her look like jean seberg right like it's not like a buzz cut <laughs> no, it wasn't not, a buzz cut yeah. you know she's still wearing like <laughs> like lipstick and cute earrings absolutely and i think she's got a scarf on at yeah. some point so i mean it's a great haircut like don't get me wrong absolutely. it's like a fantastic haircut
1: you guys watched the show as it aired, Shell and Rachel, and you're of a different generation than uh, Eternity and I. Did you both have a haircutting moment where you were like, "I need to, I need to do
2: this for my identity"? One hundred P. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I did for sure. For sure. I mean, I I went the Jenny route, so I did have like super short hair in a pixie cut, but then also wore like. Hoop earrings and red lipstick, and then combat boots. So that was kind of the look. But you know, m- the, the whole lesbian aesthetic of my era was a lot of um, Sinead O'Connor in her ripping up pictures of the Pope stage. So I feel like a lot of the gay bars in the time were full of women in short hair and white tank tops and combat boots. That was very much the that was very much the look. We're gonna need photos. <laughs> Did you used to have long hair, Shell? Did oh, you?
1: my! When right. I was
3: uh, in high school, my hair was very long i would still say that my dress was very tomboyish and then when i realized i was queer it was like a gradual cut so it was just like let's go to the middle of my back now to my shoulder and now it looks super gay
0: okay let's recap So I want to begin with Shane, our lovable fuckboy here is still reeling from her relationship with Sherry Jaffe, the has been married actress played by Rosanna Arquette. So while working at a hairstyling gig, Shane meets Carmen, who is played by the beautiful Sarah Shahi. But Shane then continues to push Carmen away, so Carmen enters into a relationship with Jenny instead, much to Shane's heartbreak, who then proceeds to cry and wallow for the rest of the season with a very ridiculous haircut. (laughs) It is really
2: bad, eh? It's so bad. It got worse. It It did.
0: It got worse. It got worse. So then, how do we kind of feel now watching this again, knowing more about, like fuck boys and this kind of like you know this concept of like wallowing and brooding how do we feel about shane's self-imposed relationship restrictions
2: i'll be the shane apologist if she <laughs> the jenny apologist <laughs> again i think that we're getting a bit more of like shane's backstory um so her mom was an addict she'd been in and out of foster care so i mean i think it was a bit of a heavy-handed backstory for shane in a, in a way that it's sort of like and that's why shane is shut down emotionally but i think that um you know, I think that there I, I think I feel some sympathy for Shane and her her broody closed downness. But I don't know. That's just me.
1: I think Eternity has dealt with too many
0: fuckboys. <laughs> she's like,
3: she's
0: like, fuck Shane. No, I actually think like I really felt that because I feel like I've had a year where I've been like the broody, like crying with a bad haircut. I cut my own hair recently, so it's lopsided. <laughs> so like, also just been sitting in my room, kind of like crying. And there's just these shots of Shane just like there, like pouting and crying. And I think <laughs> have been there. We've all been there. For honest. Okay, so moving on to Jenny, Shell, I feel like you should take this one.
3: Obviously. Jenny's ex-lover Marina moves to Europe after a suicide attempt, and Jenny's ex-husband Tim moves to Ohio. So Jenny takes over the lease, Shane moves in as her roommate, and together they try to look for a third. They interview a nudist, a Christian, and finally land on an overbearing filmmaker bro, Mark Whalen. Now Mark uses Jenny's old writing studio as his new live workspace and begins working on his latest project, which is secretly videotaping Jenny and Shane with hidden cameras around the house for a documentary about lesbians. Super creepy, very problematic. So Jenny starts to date Carmen, even though she's completely aware that Carmen's heart is with Shane. And then when Jenny discovers Mark's project, finds the footage that confirms this love, she breaks up with Carmen and begins to basically spiral for the rest of the season. She starts looking to her family history and looking at her past traumas. And season two ends with Jenny doing a very questionable striptease performance and a suicide attempt. Poor Jenny.
2: I think it was really interesting to watch this in light of the Me Too movement and in light of having bigger discussions about sexual violation and sexual abuse. I think that it was shocking to revisit the voyeurism plot to have Mark—and I don't remember— I remember being kind of grossed out of by that scene at the time that that whole vignette of the roommate planting these cameras and you know he co- becomes kind of obsessed but in a crush kind of way, but it's still very violating and very creepy. I don't remember it landing in the same way then than it did on rewatching it and understanding just how deeply disturbing that was and maybe it's because. We have shared so many stories over the last couple of years of just how how um, broad the violations have been to so many so many people, and I also think and I have to say I know Shell has been our our resident Jenny defender. But I think Mia Kirshner's, her rage over this and the way that she tears Mark down when she finds out is actually incredibly powerful. Amazing, yeah. And it felt really resonant now when mm-hmm. she talks about how violated she felt. And I have to say that not only did that really stand up, that whole plot line, but it felt that much more chilling. On rewatch. I don't know if you all had similar feelings. Yeah,
1: I know I called myself the Jenny hater in the top of the the episode, but I I think that Jenny was actually really fantastic this season. I think this is Jenny at her best. That scene where she confronts Mark and he he strips down and he's like, "Is this what you want?" and she's she just rips him a new one. Like that was really Jenny at her best in this entire series. So. I will say that. Does that make you feel yes. better, Shell? Season
3: two, Jenny is my favorite Jenny for all of these reasons. She's coming into her own. She's claiming her identity and her power as a woman. See guys, I told you, Jenny Schechter is the best. You're, I'll give you this one. Right. <laughs> Only for season
0: two. Cause I, I also felt the same way, Rachel. I felt like Jenny had said things that, you know, like watching it now, I would have loved to say to like certain men or men, you know, who have violated women. I know that I've said it before, but you and Shane have made me a better
2: man.
3: Oh, fuck off, Mark. It's not my job to make you a better man, and I don't give a shit if I've made you a better man. It's not a fucking woman's job to be consumed and invaded
0: and spat out so that some fucking man can evolve. Like, it's not a woman's job to make a man, like, feel good about himself. Like, he doesn't get to do something bad, and then you kind of become this vessel of, like, well, it's all good. And so I felt like that was very, very powerful. So I will
2: give Jenny props in this season. yeah and I think too, some of the some of the the reasons why people find Jenny so difficult because she is a volatile character that you know she um, is kind of all over the map. she can be incredibly selfish at times, incredibly self-absorbed again, watching it again and realizing that she is remembering her own childhood abuse. Understanding her through the lens of somebody who's probably going through like PTSD, I think is a different way to look at why Jenny might react in ways that come across as unsympathetic or, or you don't really understand them. And again, I think more than a decade later, the more we understand about victimhood and, and survival, I think Jenny becomes maybe a clearer and more sympathetic character. We'll see. i know there's more to come that you cannot forgive erica
0: throughout our podcast we'll be hearing from some celesbians and queer culture watchers here's a fun fact hey guys sarah kennedy here stand-up comedian and co-host of the podcast Tadar. i found out a wild bit of trivia the other day and i have to share it with you i have not been able to stop thinking about it for days we know aaron daniels Sweet, sweet, amazing Aaron Daniels, who played Dana on The L Word. Did you know that in real life she dated, she real life dated the guy who played creepy camera guy Mark in the second season? His name is Eric Lively. And that, yes, he is in fact related to actress Blake Lively. And Blake Lively has a daughter whose voice was sampled for the intro for Taylor Swift's song, Gorgeous, which was on the Reputation album. So that's it. It's a pretty small L world out there. <laughs> All right. So up next is Bet and Tina, which we've already established to bet is not great. But uh, <laughs> Rachel?
2: Yeah. So this arc is about, you know, Bet pining over Tina and wanting to win Tina back. And Tina dating uh, Helena Peabody, who is the very, very wealthy daughter of Peggy Peabody. And Helena not only is dating Tina, but she also becomes Bette's nemesis in that she wants to withdraw funding from the uh, California Arts Center. That bet runs. There's this weird thing with uh, Tina hiding her extremely visible (laughs) pregnancy, and like no one realizing that's that Tina is pregnant. It also leads to some fairly unfortunate fat shaming where people talk about like oh god Tina's eating a lot or Bette says she's kind of glad that Tina got chubby because that meant that she couldn't (laughs) find anybody else to date I mean it's weird it's like (laughs) that's uncomfortable and so the season kind of you know again there's some spoilers here follows the two of them navigating their breakup and their eventual coming back together again by the end of the season which the final episode has tina giving birth to her and Bette's baby daughter you gave up your autonomy in a relationship that
0: the law doesn't recognize
2: I think the idea that, you know, Bet might not be recognized as the baby's parent, or you see the same kind of thing paralleled with Helena and her ex about trying to figure out custody arrangements. There really wasn't any kind of precedent for f- the formation of families and the protection of families. And it's interesting that, you know, just 15 years later to, to see how much change actually has happened on this front.
1: And and I found that really interesting just given my age. I've never had to live in a world where I'd have to worry about these kinds of things. You know, uh, I grew up in an age where same-sex marriage was always a thing. And I, and there's been an increase in, in rights and protections for, for same-sex parents. So watching this was really eye-opening for me.
0: All right, Alice and Dana. Erica, you want to take this one?
1: Sure, so this is on a much lighter note than the other characters. And we pick up right where we last ended with Dana. She's with her doting manager slash fiance, Tanya. Um, they're jumping headfirst into wedding mode. And Tanya, of course, is always up for some good product placement. Uh, <laughs> so she wants to plan the first corporate-sponsored lesbian wedding. Dana, you're, you're marrying an endorsement slut. And then all the while, Dana's been wrapped up in Alice and they're trying to stay apart. But then on the day of Dana's bachelorette party, uh, they can't help themselves and finally have sex. Hallelujah. Dana decides to break it off with Tanya. And then Tanya nearly beats her to the punch because it turns out she's been with Melissa Rivers the entire (laughs) time. What? (laughs) What? And then the season ends on a pretty nice note with Alice and Dana exploring the world as this newly fledged couple and they're trying to navigate boundaries and sex toys and their old flames and it's all just really nice ahead of season three.
2: I was really happy about this development. I quite like the Alice and Dana coupling. I don't know if I always bought the sexual chemistry between them. I feel like I bought the the best friendship between the two mm-hmm, of them, and right. I don't know if I entirely bought them as a couple. Mm. But I found them like super cute and adorable. As I totally bought
3: them as a couple. Oh, did you? Season one really like they left a lot of clues in there right. that would allude to that. You know, I I don't want to be one of those people who sleeps with their friends. Neither do I right okay well let's not have sex no never okay never so i think it was a very natural transition in their relationship and like they're so cute i love but
1: them eternity and i were talking about this before we started recording and you hated the sex scenes
0: yeah i'm actually like uh, don't at me um, i'm not a fan <laughs> i'm not a fan of dana or alice oh. dallas I'm not a fan of Dallas, and I found the sex scenes to be incredibly cringy to watch. And I get, I feel like that was maybe part of it. It's like two people who almost seem sexually incompatible trying to like force themselves together. I don't know. I found it super awkward. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it's it's just like
3: all the other sex scenes are sexy, whereas like Alice and Dana's sex scenes are like cute and adorable. And even in in their first sex scene where they finally have sex to CC Peniston's finally. Like it's very <laughs> comical, right? Like, And that might be a nice reflection of just like their, their relationship because mm-hmm. they're very comical and yeah. they have fun together. So yeah. like it's not cringy for me, it's just a different way at looking at sex.
0: I think by contrast, the chemistry between Shane and Carmen, like that was fire. Like that was like a good, even when they weren't together, you felt it and it was like these two people who like really, really wanted to be together but couldn't for various reasons. And even when you look at like Jenny and Carmen, it wasn't the same. But like Rachel, to your point, like everyone else was brooding and they had this like super hot sexual chemistry, but like Alice and Dana, like, you know, want to get ice cream? It's cute, but it's not. I think it's so cute. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I think we all need to talk about that one episode about the lesbian cruise. Again, don't like Jenny, but when I watched Jenny dancing like on stages and stuff, and then dive into the pool, I was like, "This is me!" Like if I got on like, a, like that cruise ship, I would be that person. They're all, like all applauding her, and she's like, "Yay!" I think I'm more like Jenny than I think I would like to admit, but.
3: There's nothing wrong with
2: that, mm. <laughs> yeah, and again, this is one of those, like on rewatch, I think that there's a big difference watching that episode. After this summer's article uh, by Shannon Keating yes. that appeared in BuzzFeed in June, she went on a, a a cruise, a Olivia cruise, and she sort of went into it thinking it was going to be full of these bougie older dykes, and she was very cynical. And then she went and she fell in love with a woman who was twice her age, and basically blew up her life. Then wrote about it, and then blew up the internet with
1: this story. <laughs> now, let's wrote. clarify: the woman that she fell in love with, her name was Lynette and she brought a suitcase full of sex toys on this cruise. So
2: I get it. But apparently that's what happens on these cruises. I feel like there's a whole plot on The L Word where there's like a sex bird who I think is based on Susie Bright, maybe. And she has very athletic sex all over the ship <laughs> with the cellist from Betty. Oh, my God. Um, we'll talk about Betty in a second. But, you know, and so this this whole cruise ship is basically set up as kind of just like a sex ship for, <laughs> for lesbians. <laughs>
0: Alright, so, in this season, the theme song arrives. And so does Betty.
2: Girls in tight dresses who drag with mustaches
1: Oh my god. It's so bad. It's so bad. I don't know what was wrong with the original little techno beat thing that they had in season one. It was short. It was, like, fine. Like, it wasn't amazing, but it was fine. And it got to the show so much quicker. Now we're stuck with this like awful song and these like the like weird vignettes of like all the people like Dana and Alice on a motorcycle, like Shane fucking someone in a bathroom. Like I I can live without this. I don't know. Not need just it. a
2: bathroom, but the it's a men's washroom. Right. With men on the door. <laughs>
3: I never <laughs> noticed
2: that. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's a men's washroom. Yeah.
3: Well, should we talk about the connect? that Betty has to the show behind the scenes? So one of the members of Betty was dating one of the producers. And was dating Eileen Chaikin, I think. There you go. And uh, so, like, that makes a lot of sense that they would appear in the season this often. Yeah. And I think I've gotten to this point now where, especially on this rewatch, I've listened to it so many times. I've come back full circle and I'm kind of beginning to like this theme
2: no. song. <laughs> no. Please shake me
1: <laughs> out of yeah. my senses. It's like Stockholm yeah. Syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that Eileen Chaikin regrets having Betty do the theme song in hindsight?
2: I feel like she's been asked this question and kind of says, like, I don't get why people hated it so much. Like, I think that there just was this kind of, like, it was fine. I mean, again, I think it's this other weird thing when the show has, like, made-up stuff. Like, they have made-up celebrities. But then they'll say things like, oh, we really hope that Pink will come and Mm -hmm. perform at the Planet. And then they get Betty instead. And, like, no slight against Betty. (laughs) But it just seems like they're kind of elevating Betty to the status of 2005 Pink and I just feel well, like yeah. That's when they
3: stretch, when they drop Betty, it's just like I think that it's a fake band that they've created for the show,
2: exactly. Right. And then you realize that it's a real band. Do we think that they will remix that song for the new Ooh. series? Ooh. Oh my Do God, we- I hope not. <sighs> Well, when
1: I first watched The L Word, I watched it on Netflix, and there's the skip intro button, which was my lifesaver. I think I listened to the theme song, like, twice, because I I binged through it, and I was like, nope, and just (laughs) skip intro. Um, But now we're watching, uh, and and I have to, like, physically—because it's not on Netflix anymore, so I have to physically scrub through the video, and that's painful, too.
3: Not to play the age card here, but in my day, there was no (laughs) skip intro button. There was no scrolling. I had to— Just sit there and listen to that entire song every single time. So be glad you have a skip intro button.
0: All right. So like Shane greeting a flower delivery girl, it is now time for our quickie round. We already talked about some of our hottest moments, so we're going to switch it up. So now let's get to the funniest, saddest and the cringiest moments of season two.
2: I have to say I had a ton of affection for the writing teacher played by Sandra Bernhard, who like totally read uh, Jenny and all her writerly pretensions. I want real writers in this class, fiction writers. You don't write like that. You journal. And I'm not here to read the autobiography of Miss Jenny Schechter.
1: Yeah, it's about time somebody tells Jenny that she's probably not the amazing brooding writer that she thinks she is. She needed to be put in her place finally. So that was great. For me, the funniest was whoever like was the 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 audio producer for this season um, just put in so many fantastic gems throughout the season. The whispering
0: lesbian, 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 lesbian.
1: Then in the end of the season it was like Shane Carmen.
0: Yeah, that was definitely a mindfuck. So there was like, there was moaning. So it was Helena, we're we're introduced to Helena Peabody. And um, there's this moaning in the background in the intro.
2: We need to talk. Isn't that why I'm here?
0: And I'm like, is there like a porn pop up on my computer? <laughs> so I start looking, and then I like, I just silence the like the show, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the show! Like they're having a serious conversation, and people are moaning in the
2: background. <laughs> the early days of podcasting, <laughs> it's just true. Had to, exactly. Yeah. Everyone wanted like a rich audio landscape. Exactly.
3: For me, the funniest moment is when Alice and Dana finally hook up. CC Penistons finally is one of my like top jams of all time. So to hear that song like pop right at the right moment. It's just it's so <laughs> it's like perfection.
0: And what are some of our saddest moments this season?
3: Obviously, it's gonna be a jenny pick. And it's the scene with her in the bathroom, and Shane comes in. It's so raw. After and, she's cut herself. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the moment where the audience finally understands like just how deep. This trauma is, and it was just heartbreaking for me.
1: The moment that stood out the most for me was the death of Bette and Kit's father, mm-hmm. played by Ossie Davis. I haven't lost a parent, uh, but I have, you know, spent time with a grandparent uh, who is very sick and dying, and that really resonated with me. The emotion, and I think, I think it's Kit in the in in the end of the episode who's who's just wailing when when her father is passed. That that was real um and I I really felt that
0: yeah I would agree I think when the nurse comes in and says that like towards the end it gets very confusing and 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 scary for everyone involved I think like if you've been in that situation where someone is dying um or starting to you know mix up names and people who are alive and dead and seeing like the the look and the emotion on Beth's face was very like I could resonate with that
2: I felt that just watching Shane be unable to let herself be loved by somebody was also incredibly sad. The the kind of awareness of her just not feeling like she can open herself up or that she's worthy of love or it can't be trusted. And then I think to have that be amplified by having opened up her home to Mark and defended Mark and then realized he had betrayed her in such a profound way. So you kind of see the mechanisms, like the emotional mechanisms within Shane, for why she has to close down and shut down.
0: What are some of our cringiest moments?
1: Definitely Jenny. I've said this already, but Jenny's Judaic striptease, where she's doing her burr, has like it's like it's very it's a lot. It's a lot.
3: <laughs> For as much as I love Jenny, the like all of these carnival writing scenes were just like, please stop. I love you, but stop with this carnival stuff.
2: That was cringy for me too. But also, Jenny and Carmen having sex on the toilet while peeing on one another was just. <laughs> were they peeing on one another? Peeing. <laughs> That's what they were doing. Well, I have to pee too. I'm gonna be done this second. I, I want you to spread your legs. <laughs> Yes, they were oh. peeing. And there was an article and apparently the rationale for it was or the idea behind it was that they were peeing on each other's clitorises and they were getting awful on the toilet. But I just kept thinking, if one of them left to go pee, couldn't the other one just pee in the shower? <laughs> like, or am I just gross? Like, I don't know. I just found that scene so weird. I'm I'm shocked. I didn't I, I'm too
0: young for this show. Like,
2: <laughs> I, I'm shocked. I did
0: not know that. I don't know why I didn't put that together.
2: And I'm not the only one who found this cringy in a number of ways. Hi, my name is
1: Carolyn Bergier, and I am a stand-up comedian and the creator and co-host of the Diking Out podcast. I remember the L word being the most exciting and important thing on TV for me for a while. Uh, it came out when I was in college. So when I was on breaks from college, I would watch it at my mom's house with my mom. I remember during that scene with uh, Jenny and Carmen, and they're on the toilet, and one of them is kind of peeing on the other, and
0: I looked over at my mom and just said, that's not a thing we do. Uh, I think I said that a lot. I just remember that was the scene that I was like, I need to make sure
1: my mom knows that this is not what my girlfriend and I are doing in her bathroom.
0: That's it for this episode. Next time, we look back at season three, filled with new characters such as Max and Angus, more Shane and Carmen drama, and Dana's battle with breast cancer. No, no. I'm Eternity Martis. I'm Michelle Turingan, I'm Rachel Giza, and I'm Erica Lenti. Off the Chart is produced by Corey Mosquita. Our senior producer is Rachel Matlow, and our executive producer is Rachel Giza. Thanks to composer Kid Kulit for providing our music. Mia Kirshner, if you're listening, please send us a handwritten letter by Carrier Pigeon. Until next time.